we've maybe lost the brick and mortar. We've lost the big building. You guys know that the church isn't the building. We've lost that, but we haven't lost our Bible. Praise Amen. God. Yeah. Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. One of the great things about being a part of the Living Faith Fellowship is the fact that we have so much proximity to pastors and missionaries and church planters, uh, people who've devoted their lives to ensuring the biblical uh, mandate uh, is multiplied throughout the whole world. And it's a privilege for me to be able to sit down with people like that and to interview them and get to know them and hear their stories. One such church planter is Mike Renault of Living Faith in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, Mike and his team went to Boston in 2020 to evangelize, to disciple, and to establish a healthy church in the heart of one of the most important cities in our country. Uh, from the very beginning, uh, the team was aware of the difficulty that they would face planting a church in a secular post-Christian city such as Boston, that they were fully aware of what they were getting themselves into, uh, but they couldn't foresee uh, where the problems and the difficulties might be coming from. Uh, the fact that even other Christians might be resistant to them, uh, other Baptists even. And so uh, we're going to hear Mike's story today, and uh, I'm looking forward to what he's going to share so on the postscript uh, today, we have Pastor Mike Renault to update us on the work in Boston and to share with us what it means to trust God for the unforeseen. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Brandon, it's good to be here. Uh, I love the show. We, we tune in out here all the time from Boston, and uh, it's an honor, truly, just to be a part of the show. Well, man, uh, you're such a good friend to me, and uh, we go way back, and so um, I'm excited about the opportunity uh, to share your story a little bit more, to get an update on how things have gone. Um, you haven't been on the show for a while, so it'll be good to update everybody, but also uh, to share with everyone some of the, the hurdles and the struggles that you've faced, and uh, that way we can all be praying for you and lifting you up and, and sharing in those struggles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I hope that, uh, that being here today, uh, you know, to this audience, um, you know, will be an encouragement. That's what we want. We want to be an encouragement to other churches who send missionaries and church planters out, uh, but also, you know, those would-be church planters uh, for the guy listening to the podcast on his way to work or in between Bible studies or whatever, contemplating, you know, would the Lord send me? Mm -hmm. I hope that this episode is encouraging in that way. Well, I, I think it will be, um, and, and maybe a little eye-opening as well. So, uh, let's start just by talking about the church plant. I mean, I think a lot of our listeners who've joined us over the last few months or the last year are probably not even familiar with the fact uh, that you've planted a church. Maybe they haven't heard much about uh, your story or the testimony of Living Faith Boston. So maybe just start by telling us about the church plant and how it got going. Yeah, thank you. I, I also, you know, for that, thank you for letting me highlight the ministry out here. Um, we are a local church plant in the city of Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, Boston, of course, is a real big city, large combined statistical area, eight plus million people. And my family and I did launch back uh, three weeks into COVID and uh, five other adults and, and two teenagers followed suit later in 2020. And so we were kind of airdropped into the city and sent from our local church there in Kansas City to come out and and start a Bible-based discipleship-focused, evangelizing, ministry-training church that we can reproduce that here uh, in the city of Boston and, and all over the world. And so, uh, and so we launched in 2020 for that purpose. Describe for us a little bit what God's done. I mean, a, a lot has happened in the last few years um, in terms of your ministry and, and provision and, and um, you know, uh, God using you mightily uh, just to get the work going. I mean, no church plant is easy. Um, all of them take tons of work, tons of faith, lots of prayer. Uh, but tell us a little bit about what God's done just over the last few years. Yeah, and, and you're right. We did start out with a lot of prayer uh, even before we launched. One thing that, that really worked to 
compel us to come out here and, and work really in, in our calling was just when we came and saw the need. Mm-hmm. Um, the Northeast, when we launched back in 2020, had the, um, the, the, the privilege, I guess, of having eight of the least reached cities in all of the United States and uh, Boston, Massachusetts being the second on that list. Mm-hmm. And so, and we saw that firsthand. We came out on a vacation and we saw all the rainbow flags flying and churches that were dying off and being turned into condos and and uh, skate parks and, and whatever else and bars and um, pastors that were really giving up on the word of God. And so, you know, why wouldn't they die? You know, and so we were really just moved by that and, and sought the Lord. And we came out here and and the Lord orchestrated that we would be able to launch and and, um, you know, Boston is kind of a, Boston's a poster child for an area and a generation, older generation that, that said, I'm not going to force my kids to be religious mm. and I'm not going to force my kids to go to church and things like that. And I know we've all kind of run into those people where they, they just claim as a cop out, I'll let my kids decide and which is actually just code for, I don't want to go to church myself. Right. And so I'm not going to take my family. And and so that's happened in Boston for many generations. And so what you have now is Gen Xers, Millennials, Gen Z, and, and I, I can't keep up with all the, the monikers, but, you know, a, a culture that by and large is entirely ignorant about what the Bible says. And uh, many that we end up meeting on the street that have never even heard the gospel. And so, so we came out 2020, everyone's wearing masks. Boston is very proud of their compliance. And so uh, just on steroids, they wanted to make sure that Boston complied better than anybody in terms of their COVID response. And so that did not make it easy on a church planter. You know, we didn't have natural inroads here. We were told by several churches not to come. We were told that it was going to destroy our family. Uh, We were told by people that they're, you know, not enough Christians to go around, you know, as if we were going to be coming out here just sort of shuffling Christians back and forth mm. uh, that already exist. And that's not really our model. You know, we wanted to come out and win souls. Right. And so we prayed about it and, and we would we would walk the streets and pray. And after a while, you know, you can only do that so many, many times. You see the people out there and we thought we've got to trust God to go out and at least try to meet some people. Mm. I know it's COVID and Nobody wants to talk. And so so we went out and um, we trusted the Lord. And, and on that very first time we were out in this very, very hard and difficult city, the Lord put in our path a couple ladies who had, one of which was 70 years old and had never heard the gospel before. And, um, and her daughter um, and my wife ended up taking them to lunch later that week. And they agreed to do that just to look at what the Bible says about their salvation and life. And, and with tears, they both received Christ as their savior. So just an incredible work the Lord was doing. We, we found the building there. Um, just, you know, I say by chance, but I truly believe it was of the Lord prior to launching, you know, I invited a few pastors with me and this was kind of a Gideon moment for me. I, I invited them out before we ever moved with my family. Uh, you know, I was going to be moving across country and and uh, packing up my life essentially to go do this. And I want to make sure that this was of the Lord. And so I, I wanted to get some confirmation from some elders. And we came out and just we got lost on the train before we ever made it, you know, from the airport. And and that uh, sort of God's providence there worked mm. to help us actually find the building uh, that we ended up meeting in for the next three years after we landed. Yeah, you just kind of stumbled across it suddenly. We did. We had we literally had our luggage in our hand, and it was lightly raining, and we were walking. We took a wrong turn. We were frustrated walking through the city of Boston. We didn't know where we were going. And uh, and we stumbled up across the building. We walked inside and let them know why we were there and that we just wanted to pray. And, and, and or, you know, we were praying for whether God would have us to come out. And and uh, the pastor came out as a young man and, and he came out and, and basically said, you know what? If you guys are straight with the gospel, you ought to consider renting here. 
Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind, we hadn't even got to our hotel yet, and this was on sort of a, a scouting trip. And he quoted us a figure that um, was far less than anything I would ever end up seeing after that. And mm-hmm. we went back to the hotel and, and just prayed and gave glory to God that on this scouting trip where we were considering whether God was calling us to Boston, that a church was inviting us to use their building. Mm-hmm. And they were a small church. And so, it, yeah, it kind of helped them supplement income and things like that and Baptist church. And and the Lord really used it. it it's been um, just a great ride. We've, you know, that building is located right in the center of Boston's education district. You know, depending on who you read, Boston, the area has, you know, some 50, 55 colleges, 265,000 students, about a quarter of which are not from the states. And this church is right in the middle of all that. Mm-hmm. And so what a, what a great tool. Yeah. You know, we're able to post up there every time we meet and put signs out. And Yeah, I've had the privilege of being there. And it's amazing to see the number of young people, young business people, but young students just walking by the building all day long. I mean, by the hundreds and hundreds, uh, which, um, you know, part of the vision is to reach that kind of person. Um, ministering to college age students is kind of part of the vision that you went out there with. And so it seems very appropriate that you'd be in a church building near so many young people. Yeah, absolutely. We've had a lot of, of teams come out that have just been such a blessing to us. And, you know, we, we put the call out early on, you know, hey, please come to Boston, help us to evangelize this new city, help us make an imprint. We had one that came last week and, and it was such a blessing. And there was a young man on the trip and, and he clearly had God's hand on him. You could just tell it. And uh, an evangelist. Mm. And uh, and I, we dropped them off at Northeastern University and there were literally in eyesight, probably over a thousand students that you could see in one one spot. Mm. And they kept just being replaced. They'd, they'd go off the street and more students. It was it was uh, pretty incredible. And he, he texted me just yesterday and said, um, you know, this is a faithful man. He's a, a good brother in the Lord. And he said, this was probably one of the most incredible evangelistic experiences I've ever had in my life. Man, praise God. And that, that really blesses me, you know, just to know that we can be a blessing like that, but also that the word of God's going out. Yeah, for sure. And and you've been effective. I mean, in a in a hard place, in a in a place where people are culturally resistant to the gospel, you have seen fruit. Maybe tell us a little bit about the people that you've been able to reach and and what the makeup of your church looks like now versus um, what it looked like in the beginning. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, you know, we we came out. We had seven very dedicated adults and four youngsters, two two very young and two teenagers that came with us. And, and these were, these are incredible people. These are people given over to the ministry. And so we came out and we were told, you know, by other churches um, that this, like I said, it's going to ruin your family. You shouldn't come. Hmm. Uh, we had one, you know, professional Christian. I say that he, he's a, a Christian counselor that, that isn't under uh, the direction of any pastor out here. He's just kind of doing his own thing. And he warned us that you know that you you can't start a church in Boston. You know it, it's not uh, it's not doable. You can't do it with the locals, and the and the students will come and go. And so, but get this, you know, our very first convert was a seventy year old Bostonian lady who had never heard the gospel mm. and just bowed her heart to the Lord. And we've had numerous other people who've come in. We, we've had locals. We have had students international students from all over the world come through, many of which are from countries where it would be illegal to listen to the gospel or have it shared with them. Um, it's been awesome. Mm. We had, um, we've had so many salvations, you know, where, where they have bowed their heart and confessed with their, their mouth unto the Lord Jesus Christ, like they've received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And many of those, we have a high percentage of those who have decided, I want to be faithful. And and these are, many of these people, some of them had never opened a Bible before, um, didn't know, you know, Genesis from Jonah. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, 
And we're opening up the word of God, praise the Lord. And, and not, not all of them, some of them, you know, have a, a history of faith, but we're able to invest in people and disciple them one-on-one, taking the members of our church who are mature and trained up and investing God's word into them so that they can learn how to obey it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so this year, we now have a crop of people going through our discipleship two or our foundations two yeah. class, and uh, which is incredible. These are people I'm inviting in, into the leadership level where they can begin to carry the water for the church. Mm. And uh, we've had several baptisms, um, it, which has been remarkable. I've seen my both of my kids um, receive the Lord and be baptized, and then m- many, many other people be baptized after receiving Jesus as their Savior. Our Friends of International Ministry is blossoming. We had about 150 students come through that last weekend. Uh, the Lord's been great. Yeah. I think it's important for people who are listening to this who may not be familiar with the model of ministry that the Living Faith Fellowship, uh, it kind of adheres to philosophically. Uh, this is a this is no, you know, um, you know, if you build it, they will come approach to ministry. We're, we're not doing big events. Uh, you're not in Boston putting on, you know, uh, f- fun and exciting carnivals for kids. And, and you're not, you know, your worship services don't have any laser lights or, or anything, you know, super exciting. The objective is to go find people who don't know Christ win them to Christ, and then spend the majority of your energy and resources investing into that single individual, which takes mm-hmm. a ton a ton of time, uh, time that, that could be spent going out and putting on big events, um, uh, doing other ministry things. And, and that's, approach, that's an approach that other evangelical believers might take in your situation, but it's not the path that you've chosen uh, you've chosen the long, hard way, and yet you have fruit, and it's fruit that remains. It's not. It's not. Um, people aren't fickle. Uh, uh, you know, once they've committed their life mm-hmm. to discipleship, they're staying in the church and they're they're learning God's word for themselves, so that they can become leaders as well. So this is this is a unique ministry model uh, within within evangelical Christianity and within church planting. And um, so it's worth noting that you've been fruitful. Um, despite the fact that this isn't uh, some sort of big tent uh, event that you're that you're promoting, yeah, that's spot on. You know, and sometimes I forget it because um, church planting you're going a mile a minute, and three years just seems to have flown by. But you know, when we first came out, we, we talked to some guys, and and not trying to diminish the the, the importance of planning and and uh, look, looking being tr- strategic and tact tactful, but. Uh, we were told, you know, how to uh, how to do a church plant, and and we need to look at the cycles of the year and and ramp up certain events, and that's how we build a crowd, and then we come back and follow that up with uh, slightly more spiritual events, maybe a Bible study or something that looks like that, mm-hmm. and from there we glean a higher level of leader, and we invite them in, and and I'm not even saying any of that doesn't work, but. Um, but we, you know, we we didn't want to play hide the ball. We we didn't want to do bait and switch. We wanted, especially I think in the Northeast, people really appreciate a very direct approach. And so we just wanted to be honest. You know, I mean, we wanted like Paul, right, right to to only know Christ and Him crucified. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and. and like I said, nothing against all those other methods, but yeah, we just we would go out on the street, evangelize, present the opportunity, build relationships, but ultimately share the gospel, mm. and then lay that out there. And yeah, it's rare to find the faithful man. I mean, who can find him, right? Mm-hmm. But man, when the Lord identifies him or her, and they come in and they're ready, like it's so much, it's so valuable. Yeah, and what a blessing that's been. And so. I think it is harder to do it that way. And if I could encourage ministers out there who are considering, you know, buying into the latest program or some subscription that's going to save their church or their ministry, that you can just be faithful Hmm. to God's ways. I mean, you can literally just be obedient to preaching the word, being faithful with your evangelistic message. 
you can trust God with the outcome of it and still know that you're you're doing what God wants you to do. Yeah, praise God. And that's God. really where we want to be. We, we just want to be where God wants us to be. Um, the, the results are up to him. And, and, you know, we would love to have hundreds and thousands of converts and all that, but but we just want to be faithful. Mm-hmm. And we're not using that as an excuse to be spiritual dorks or anything like that. Um, we want to be relevant too, but but ultimately at the center of what we're doing is faithfulness to God's word. Mm-hmm. That's really it. And so now you've got a, a church in the heart of Boston uh, meeting regularly in a church building uh, that's very central in terms of its location. Um, you've got people who are attending uh, faithfully your services where you're preaching, teaching the word of God. People are meeting in homes throughout the week to do discipleship lessons, uh, to learn what it means to walk as a Christian. Uh, you, you you mentioned you've got people who are doing upper level studying now and, and they're a part of uh, you know foundations two and, and eventually three and they're, they're growing deeper in their ability to lead. So things are really have been going really well. Um, but uh, as many people who've listened to the show already know, the Living Faith Bible Institute and the Living Faith Fellowship uh, believe that the authorized version uh, was not only accepted, you know, by English speakers uh, for forever, really without exception, um, but we also believe that it's it's distinctly preserved unto today, right? Like even up to this point in, in history, mm-hmm. that we believe that the uh, King James is uh, the preserved Word of God in English. Now, this view has become increasingly unpopular uh, culturally, but it has recently caused some unique issues for you in the ministry. Um, So let's start here. In your own words, could you begin by simply explaining the Living Faith Fellowship's view of the KJV? We take a faith-based approach or faith-based view of God's Word, uh, the Lord made promises in Scripture that He would preserve His Word to all generations. Uh, he also said that we can know it with certainty, and we believe those promises. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a historic position. It's been held by the church throughout uh, or since its inception. The authorized version or the King James Version uh, was held to be that for the English-speaking world for over three and a half centuries, really, without serious contest. Right. And uh, you could argue that that people suggested things after 300 years, if you want to, but but it really wasn't even, a, th- those things weren't even received in academia in, until the last 60, 70 years. And so, mm-hmm. so rather, you know, living faith's position, rather than, and, and I realize that there's a spectrum here with this, but 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 as opposed to seeking a path that says we're going to constantly challenge the meaning of God's word or constantly seek for a more pure way, we just take a faith-based view that God has already passed it down, and particularly through the practicing church. Mm-hmm. And so, so in summary, we believe in faith. God kept his promise to preserve it and that it's certain as is. We don't need to improve it every six months uh, with a new version. Right. And yeah. so that, that's our that's our position. Yeah, which is which would be, uh, again, um, maybe a less common position among Baptists. Uh, a lot of other Baptists would say, yeah, the, the Word of God has been preserved, uh, but it was preserved maybe in the original autographs, and we don't have those anymore, and now we're, we're working to ref- refine the, the Bible for English speakers and and try to eliminate the error. And so there's kind of a, you know, what we would refer to as kind of an evolutionary perspective and uh, where uh, scholars are necessary for really interpreting scripture. Um, and that, and, and our view stands a, a bit in opposition to that. Uh, and in fact, it, it stands in opposition to that. We, we don't, we wouldn't agree with that approach. Uh, and so this can be an area of, of contention for some. Um, but really beyond that, Baptists have stood together on a, on a very standard uh, confession of faith, if you will, uh, a doctrinal set. Um, uh, we, you know, you know, Baptists have shared from really the inception of the name, uh, a, a pretty common soteriology, a, a pretty common view of the Holy Spirit, of, of, of the Trinity, um, uh, uh, you know, 
even our eschatology, though there may be some variance between different uh, sects of Baptists, has traditionally been uh, fairly similar, and and we could partner in in many regards. Um, but but you know you mentioned uh, how the the same Baptist organization that allowed your group to rent the building, um, how they they basically said, we want you to be here as long as you're right on your salvation, as long as you're preaching the gospel and you're right on your salvation. But they just recently um, told you that you were no longer allowed to be there, uh, mainly because of your view on the King James. And so can you yeah. can you walk us through that a little bit and, and explain how that unfolded and, and how you interpret that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to be... Uh, Careful and discreet. I, I love this brother and this this church that he pastors, um, but I also want to be very clear on uh, on, on what happened because um, I do think it's an attack on God's people. Um, I think it's an unnecessarily uh, divisive posture that's being taken. But uh, you know, if I could back up a little bit, sure. you know, you're spot on. The um, many. Many churches today, they, they will take the same position that uh, we have a faith-based position on God's Word, but it's just like you said. They believe it uh, is is true and preserved in the originals, and that's typically what you see on a lot of the churches that hold to this position. Now, they don't make it that overt to their membership, and uh, grandma and, and, and your aunt and uncle that, that have always held to a more pure stance on the Word of God that we have it today— mm-hmm. The, the pastor is not not doing due diligence to make sure everyone is correct on his new position. But that's what's being taught. And so, um, you know, I, I think the practicing church still holds to the King James Bible, but you're seeing this more and more in academia. And so a lot of these young men that go off to, to these schools to be trained and uh, where the local churches farm out their fruit and then they get sort of reprogrammed that no, no, young man, we don't have the word of God today. We used to. And now they're coming back trying to correct their churches. And oftentimes these aren't from ordained men and, and, and people in these, these schools. They're just professors under no church officer's authority, mm-hmm. uh, no ecclesiastical structure there. And so um, so that's what's happening. And and that's that's very common out here. You know, Boston is very vacant in terms of good doctrine. You have either very milk toast uh, versions of of old traditional doctrine, or you have um, a very worldly sense and approach in, in pursuing everything in the world. And so, when we first came in, and and man, not only is God my witness, but also the other three pastors that were with me, uh, we were expressly told that as long as we are straight on the gospel, and we preach that the Lord Jesus Christ alone is sufficient for one's atonement, and that only his work on the cross and our belief in it by, by grace through faith is enough. That's it. That, that's what saves us, right? 1 Corinthians 15, Romans 10, I mean, mm-hmm. all the passages. And, and so long as we're straight on that, then, then there's room in the big tent. And there are a few things we, we I'm sure, didn't agree with, you know, and, and there are other groups in there, but but we we thought, man, this is just incredible, and we proceeded for the next three years, and I really believe the Lord had His hand in doing that, and um, you know, and so a few months ago, I receive an email from um, the church that we rent from, and um, it's an historical Baptist church. It's the second oldest congregation in Boston, going all the way back to the 1600s, and. You know, essentially it was, you know, hey, you know, Mike, I hope all's well. I'd like to meet with you. I noticed um, you guys updated your website. Uh, Looks great, by the way, but I'd like to discuss something on your statement of faith. And so, you know, immediately my radar went up. And, um, you know, I'm a lawyer by trade, and so I know what pretext smells like. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, not, not to be accusatory, but... But, you know, we hadn't updated our website since moving to Boston, so over three years. And and uh, we'd come to this ingen- this gentleman's agreement, like I said, uh, even a year before moving, that we were going to rent it out just in good faith to mm-hmm. help support them. And, and so I, I kind of probed a little bit, like, what do you mean we haven't really updated our website ever? 
and um, including the what was implied was the statement of faith, right? Like, include your statement yeah. of faith hadn't been touched. It's the same that you held to long before you even left Kansas yeah. City. Yeah, right. And so, uh, and so that ended up being uh, the issue after I kind of like pulled the curtain back. You know, he expressed you know that there was some concern over the statement of faith, and so. Yeah, so the, the Living Faith Boston's position on the scriptures is as follows. Uh, we believe all scripture was given by inspiration of God, 2 Timothy 3.16, and God has promised to preserve every jot and tittle of what he inspired, Matthew 5.18. We hold to the authorized version, uh, the King James Bible, as the inerrant standard for English-speaking people and believe we find within it the certainty of the words of truth. Proverbs twenty two twenty through twenty one. So that's that's how it reads. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. So that's our position, and and he at least previewed to me that he had some concern about that. Uh, there was concern about something else that it was a misunderstanding that, um, you know, we cleared up pretty quickly. But I went in, you know, just humbled myself, and and you know, I've been in ministry probably two decades longer than this this young man, and so I went in and. And just wanted to kind of be available. Maybe this was an opportunity to help, help uh, give some insight on where we're coming from, and and maybe help the guy out. And and uh, and essentially, it was it was a polite, uh, pleasant conversation, but it was kind of an interrogation. Also, just why we believe certain things. And and he had confessed he'd had a semester in Bible college on uh, textual criticism, and and so that's where he was getting a lot of his information and. And, uh, you know, so at the end of it, I could tell we were, we were coming at things a little bit differently, you know, kind of, he was coming from that plurality standpoint, you know, he would say that we we're King James only, uh, which is a phrase I never even use, but that's fine. Um, but he admittedly said that I'm multiple version only. That's what he, he wants multiple versions only. And that's not anything goes he has his own scholarship that he wants to adhere to. And so, you know, we had our conversation. He had an intern there. And at the end of it, I asked him, you know, hey, hey, brother, um, man, I want to make sure we're in we're in unity as much as we can be. You expressed that you had some concern. Now that we've had this conversation, where, where does that concern level rise? And I recall it because it shocked me. He said, I remain deeply concerned. Hmm. And uh, and so we walked out and and I just I, I couldn't understand it. And so I followed up with him with an email, you know, just offering, you know, hey, you know, since we're partners in this building, but it's your building, I want to make sure that we do our due diligence here. Can we keep this conversation going? I think there's a lot more to be talked about. And um, and so he agreed. He told me he wasn't going to do anything rash, uh, but he did need to talk to his board about it. And so we agreed to have a, a conversation uh, about three weeks out, because he had a, a trip that he had planned, and we had our, our summer camp, and uh, and we didn't even make it three weeks. Uh, I got an email uh, before the the third week third week was up, and before he returned town, saying that uh, they were asking us to transition out of our building uh, because of their conscience' sake, uh, not because of how we preach about the King James, because I I'm telling you, I I never preach about it. Mm. Um, but because we believe that the King James Bible is perfect. You mean, you, you mean and, you're not up there every week, you know, screaming about the King James? <laughs> you're actually just expositing no. scripture and that's what you're focus, focused on, but you just happen to use a King James. Is that, is that what you yeah. mean? Yeah, that, that's it. I mean, you could, in, you could infer it, I guess, just by how we practice, but I'm not making an issue out of it. If you didn't mm-hmm. read our website, you may not even know it, except that I require our leaders to teach and preach out of it. We, we lead our people into it because we do believe it's perfect. And, um, but I, I've never, in three years of preaching out there, I, I don't ever recall it becoming a central or, or having it be a central part of any sermon I've ever preached. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I have to. Right, of course. Uh, because it's raised, it's raised questions with our congregation. Yeah, you've been and challenged on the issue. When I got the email... Um, there was not room to keep the conversation going. I'd already sort of made that offering, and the response was, you know, essentially, we want you out. There's no room for discussion on this. And so 
you know, I, I got to believe, I mean, it was a real gut punch. You know, as a church planter, you're alone. And uh, even when you go with a team, like in the team feels alone at times, you want to be received by the local church community. Hmm. But we've had pastors tell us not to come. We've been told evangelism doesn't work in such a hard area. You know, too few Christians to go around. And so I'm used to it. But man, this was this was one of the closer brothers we've had. And mm. so it was a real gut punch. And um, But here's where I'm landing with it. I, I got to believe, just in the same way that God gave us the building, there's no way we could have orchestrated that. There's no way we could have orchestrated this this. Now I'm seeing as a very strange conversation, one that was really not given any room to discuss anything, that were, were booted, you know, some four-year relationship after a 45-minute conversation. And so, you know, maybe the pastor had gone on to the Living Faith Fellowship's website. He actually said he did that. Maybe he'd done enough research to think that there was no wiggle room. Mm-hmm. But we're trusting God. You know, we we believe that this has to be of the Lord and wherever he's moving us is going to be of God. Yeah, it's it, tough. It is. I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm absolutely sure that it is. And and I want to talk about how this affects Living Faith Boston here, here in a moment. But but this is a um, this is a sad trend within Christianity and and particularly mm-hmm. among Baptists. And and so you know this this kind of banishment, if you w- will, you know, re- represents an extreme departure from. There is a historic accord that has existed among Baptists. And, and, you know, we've seen it too. You know, the Living Faith Bible Institute has seen it as well in relationships that we've tried to build with other, uh, what we would refer to as like-minded Baptists, dispensational, um, uh, similar eschatology, um, and, and trying to build these relationships with other schools has proven to be very difficult simply because we hold to a position that, Baptists would have held to very commonly 30 or 40 years ago. People wouldn't have been in much disagreement on this subject at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but recently there has been uh, greater uh, opposition and contention over this subject. And, and now it's come to a place where it seems like, I think in this instance, we could even frame it in terms of uh, persecution. It, you know, it, it might sound extreme, but you've been displaced. Uh, you've been displaced, and now your church is is homeless. I mean, um, I think it's, I think it's that's a fairly extreme set of circumstances. Yeah, no, I would, and I would agree entirely. And I'll just tell you when I when I first started framing it that way in my mind, you know, m- maybe because we just as church planners sometimes it can be just hard work. You're, you're constantly picking at the ground and, and pulling out weeds and throwing out rocks, but. You know, to frame it like that, that this is persecution, you, you think of the guys that were martyred for the word, and it doesn't feel like that. But I'll, I'll tell you, we are being displaced. And man, what a thing to do. You know, um, not only logistically, you know, we're going into our busiest season of the year in terms of students, but we're really just hitting our stride. You know, we started with seven adults, and, you know, any given Sunday, we'll have between 20 and 40 people mm-hmm. in the church now faithfully, uh, depending on the time of year. And plus, we'll have visitors coming in in addition to that. People hearing the Word of God every week. They never heard it before. Um, it's been incredible. And, you know, to pick this issue, which has been historically received by the church, mm-hmm. for the English-speaking church, just blows my mind. You know, and so here, here's why I do think it's... It, it does comport with persecution, right? So we were invited in, you know, the church told us that no big deal as long as we're all straight with the gospel. And and we saw that. Uh, we saw some things that, man, there's no way we would have partnered with some of these groups that they brought in. There was uh, a group that was there for a while and, and, and they still receive mail. I know that, that uh, was run by a prophetess mm. and her husband did some of the administrative stuff, but she was the, the head preacher of the church and prophesy. There's a, uh, an, another group that has, you know, starkly different views on their approach to baptism and, um, and its connection to salvation. Mm. Um, another group that, um, you know, so there's a departure. There's another group that 
um, you know, had, had some some old ties to a sort of a bait and switch thing that got written up in every college in the area and and got blackballed and and just from a reputation standpoint and and uh, every parachurch organization you can you can think of and I'm not against parachurches, um, but but all the ones that we've talked to there, whether it be the Christian counselors or the, or the college groups, and I've talked to many of them, just asking them like, oh, what church are you part of? And they're not. Mm-hmm. They're not part of churches. They're not under the the structure and authority of a local church. Um, and so they'll rent to those guys. But on this one issue, right, this was what was decided to to literally kick us to the curb. And so hearing you describe that, it's not only that these aren't Baptistic theological issues, but the the one issue that they brought to your attention, like we we want you as long as you're straight on the gospel. Um, mm-hmm. I mean the 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 de- denominations that you've described, um, particularly you know the the you know, the Pentecostals um, or people who are Campbellite in their approach, they believe in, in salvation through baptism, uh, baptismal regeneration. Uh, those folks aren't straight on the gospel. Um, if, if you are someone who believes that you can lose your salvation, uh, that works somehow affect your standing with the Lord, that individual is not straight on the gospel, and yet they're building partnerships with these kinds of people uh, to the exclusion of you and your church. Um, it's, mm. it's, it's, a fairly, it's a fairly shocking thing for me to hear, and I'm sure many of our listeners who are in agreement with us, it would be shocking for them to hear as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I hold pretty strong opinions on all those things that I just talked about, those things that, you know, they made a decision to allow these renters in their building um, pretty strong biblical opinions on on just about everything I just described. And, um, you know, and so for me, you know, for us to kind of watch that happen and and think like of all groups, us holding to the the oldest tradition of anybody in that building, including including the rent the landlord, mm-hmm. there's no possible way we would ever have issue. Like if anything, people would probably de- defer to us as being overly traditional. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so I think what it what it comes down to, and I think this is where you're going to see a lot of attacks on this issue, is a belief that declaring that that God's word we hold it in our hand perfectly. Is also an implicate or an inference or declaration that um, that other versions are not perfect, and I think that they receive that as divisive. We're not out there preaching that. We're, we're not making those declarations. Um, but you know, it's like the old the old phrase, right? Misery loves company mm-hmm. or whatnot. And so, um, so I think that's it. I think there's a great there's an offense received by it. The, yeah, and the irony is thick on that. So, like, you know. The fear Man. of a divisive, uh, you know, relationship, a, a, f- a fear of division, uh, and then yet they're the ones creating the division. That there's that, kind of a strange, um, kind of a strange irony in that. It is, and that's why to me this it just doesn't make sense. And I think that the Lord is in this. You know, I wanted to be able to share because I want to encourage church planters. I, I think that especially in the States or if you're in English speaking parts of the world, this is, I know it's already an issue that you guys work, work through and deal with, but I think it becomes more and more of an issue. And I think that this, this irony, this inconsistently inconsistency that you're talking about um, is going to become the norm where, you know, it it doesn't, the the actual issue doesn't matter. It's my position is, is being offended on it. And so I have to act to protect that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's sad though. It, it really is sad. I'm sad for the relationship, but I'll tell you, I'm probably most sad because God called us here to do a particular work right. and our sheep are being attacked. You know, we've had people call, you know, now question like, man, is there a problem with us? You know, just faithfully hearing the word of God and, and now maybe calling into wonder, like, you know, oh, here's another, like, why are we being kicked out? This seems so extreme. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, it really does. I had one, you know, faithful brother who's just brand new, green, wet behind the ears. And he's like, he, I, and I overheard him talking to a brother, like, 
Why doesn't Pastor Mike just tell them that we'll, we'll do it? Like, we'll just go along with it, but we'll just keep believing mm. what we believe, but we'll just tell it like, and, yeah. and they're just one, like, this doesn't make any sense, you know, to these new believers. Yeah, they're, so, they're hurt. They're, they're hurt at, at the level of their heart. Yeah. Yeah. And so it doesn't make sense. The King James Bible is still the most read Bible by the church. I don't care what's being taught in professional Christianity, but by actual church practitioners, domestically, internationally, English speakers, that's what they still read. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can go on Google search engines and, and look at what they're it's, it's right there. It's not even close. Right. And, um, you know, and so we're not, a, we're not afraid of this position. Yeah. God's going to use it to your advantage. Uh, long-term there's going to be rejoicing because you've had to endure hardness, uh, as a, as a good soldier, You're, you know, this is going to ultimately be good for you. And it's part of the refining process that the Lord is going to take you through. But in the short term, it does put you in a kind of straits. Can you explain to us, um, what it means to be displaced for you guys and, and how that affects you um, in terms of of your ability to meet, to your ability to congregate, but then also uh, in a place like Boston, how does it affect your bottom line? I mean, certainly this is a financial strain. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. You know, as much as it was a blessing where the Lord brought this building in, into our path, um, now it's it's a it's an enormous challenge. We have an actual uh, small church. We are. Uh, you know, we were sent out by the, a church in Kansas City, the Midtown Baptist Temple, which is part of the Living Faith Fellowship. And, you know, we still receive support from all over the country. Um, you know, I'm sitting in one of the churches here right now as I'm traveling, and they allowed me to record in this room. And uh, and they support us. And, and, you know, and so that's where we're at still. Boston's extraordinarily expensive, um, but you know, taking all that away, I, I want this to be encouraging, you know, mm-hmm. for the would-be church planter, that you you potentially could run into the same situation where you find yourself homeless, because that's where we are now. During the most busy time of year, where I want to be investing in new college students coming in, I want to be investing in families. Now that we're able to to the summer's over, right? The school season's back up. We can start meeting with parents of our our children's. Uh, friends and having them over and going out with them and cultivating those hearts. When I want to be doing that, now I'm, I'm out looking for a building, mm-hmm. um, you know, calling real estate agents and, and finding out, you know, frankly, I'm finding out that our rent is going to at least double um, by the end of the year. We've been given until January 1st to transition out of the building. And, um, and so that's where, that's the path that we're on now. We are, um, we're going to be homeless. Um, we won't have a place to meet and, um, you know, pray for us Yeah. because, uh, you know, we're not, honestly, if I'm honest with you, I I don't know where we're going to go next. I know that God has a plan. We won't have maybe a place to meet. We will still have our Bible and, you know, we haven't lost that. We've, we've maybe lost the brick and mortar. We've lost the big building. You guys know that the church isn't the building. We've lost that, but we haven't lost our Bible, Amen. praise God. Yeah. And, man, we're going to hold to that, whether we have to meet in homes or whether, you know, I, I found a building that I, I think I'm trusting the Lord to make a move on. And if the Lord would bless us with that, uh, we'll praise God with that until he, he would move us elsewhere. But, um, man, we, we need a lot of prayer. Yeah, for sure. And, and so, you know, for our audience's sake, I think it is important that they hear the call to pray. Um, you know, it's interesting. We have so many different listeners to the show now that this conversation is, you know, for a lot of our listeners is going to be kind of inner circle dialogue. Um, and, uh, and it's good that they hear it. It's good that they get invited into this conversation, whether they hold the same position that we hold or not. Um, we believe that, uh, with, without a shadow of a doubt uh, that our English Bible is word for word perfect and we can trust it with everything we got. And uh, no one needs to resent us, even if they don't agree, that no one needs to resent us for that. And, um, and it doesn't change the fact that they can still pray for you because, because you have been made homeless. That We're asking for mm-hmm. prayer. We're asking for people to, at, at a minimum, empathize. But there will be a lot of our listeners who agree wholeheartedly 
there'll be a lot of our listeners who hold the same position that we do. King James uh, Bible believers that um, will say uh, to this situation, uh, God forbid, God forbid, and and their hearts hurt and, and they're yearning uh, over your situation. If they want to uh, support you uh, financially to help uh, make up the difference uh, in finding a new place, a new location. I mean, your church is big enough where you can't meet in your house. You're, 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 I've been in your house. It's not that big. It's not big. It's not big enough to house 40 or 50 people. Um, mm-hmm. And so the only option that you have in, in, in terms of congregating uh, and training these people that God's given you is to find uh, a place, but we already know that it's going to cost twice as much um, uh, from mm-hmm. what it did in this other location. So how would people uh, who want to support you do that? How, how would people go about doing that? Yeah, thank, thank you for that. And just letting me highlight it. Um, I'm humbled, you know, that I can even have this platform. And, you know, so the Lord's impressed upon me even recently, just the, you know, a renewed focus on prayer. And so I know that's that's where the power is. And so, you know, if the listeners would partner with us just in prayer, I, I appreciate how you state that, that we don't want to be resented. And we don't resent uh, anybody else either mm-hmm. in terms of other position. Um, but the fact is we we need a place to do God's work. And, and, um, and so pray for us that God would go before us. We want to be in the right spot. And it is. Our, our rent's going to double. Um, and you know, as a church plant, we just don't have the budget. Um, that's just that's just a matter of fact. We do not have the budget to make up that doubling of our rent. And so for at least the next three, probably four years, uh, as the church is growing and, and, and people are coming in and and learning how to be faithful church members, uh, you know, we need money. And uh, and so if, if people want to support, then they can go to lf.boston uh, forward slash give. And if you go, you can give there. It's all tax deductible. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we could really use that. And I, I trust fully that the Lord is going to pay for what he orders. And so, um, you know, we're very, very grateful just to even be in this position to have to trust him and, and, and not know where it's going to be coming from. But, man, if you want to be a part of it, we would we would love it. We'd be grateful. You can take part in what's going on in Boston and uh, hmm. and man, man, prove the enemy wrong, because right. all these naysayers that that stood in our way and that we were frankly just kind of maybe naive or or whatever enough to to go past those yield signs the lord has honored that not because we're so awesome or you know our reckless faith or anything like that um we've just tried to put one foot in front of the other following his lead and he's really blessed us and so that's been pretty awesome so lf.boston forward slash give prayer uh, would, would be huge. Mm-hmm. Any, anything that uh, the, the listener would want to do would be greatly appreciated. Yeah. And, and so, you know, just to, to further expand on that, if, if you desire for Boston uh, to be um, one for Christ, if, if mm. you want to see disciples made in a city like Boston, um, this is a, this is a, great opportunity for you to commit to prayer and to financial support. We don't usually do this kind of thing on the show, but we figured this was a unique situation that the story would resonate with our listeners. And so we wanted to, to highlight it and capture it um, for you to hear about it and to, to, to hear this testimony. But ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, no matter where you stand uh, on this position, um, do you want to see disciples made in Boston? And if so, uh, here's a group of church planners who gave up their lives, uh, gave up, you know, time with their families, uh, who gave up careers uh, or jobs to move to another part of the U.S. and, and commit themselves to seeing uh, the, the lost saved. If that pricks your heart, this is an opportunity. Please visit lf.boston. Um, to to give. And if you have questions, um, I think Mike would welcome those questions uh, as well. And so you could email him or contact the church and, and he would be glad to, to answer or respond 
to any questions that you might have about this subject or just about the work in Boston in general. But um, Mike, I, I want to leave you with the last opportunity to share. If, if you any, have anything else you want to say, I want to I leave that to you. Thank you for that. It's a real privilege being here. And, you know, I, I realize this was kind of a unique thing. And, and uh, I'm humbled, actually, just to kind of be highlighted. Um, Brent, you know, I didn't I didn't ask for no, this opportunity. Huh? Yeah, was, we pushed this on you. A, you did. And um, and I'm honestly not super comfortable talking about it, not because um, probably just my personality, but um, but I know God wants to, to use Boston. And I know there are going to be churches that struggle with this issue in time to come and, and probably more and more so. And so kind of like I said in the outset, I just want to be an encouragement to the church planter, to the minister out there, to the Sunday school teacher, to whomever you might be. You can hold fast to the word of God and not be ashamed of it. And you can be stripped of things that you think are important. You can be things can be removed of your life that you think that are even critical to the mission, like a church building, and you can keep having faith. And that's the position we're going to take. We're not going to back down. And that's not because we're a bunch of, you know, tough guys out here. And, you know, we just more determined than anybody else to do the mission. We're weak. Uh, we, we, we are desperate for God to move. And so I, I'm just putting it out there for the churches um, but we are with you and I know you're with us and, uh, that's probably it. So, yeah, man, thanks for having me on. This is yeah. a great privilege. Well, thank you. And, and, and thank you Love for, you. for highlighting a subject that may be increasingly, uh, important for us to, to hear about. We love you and, and we love all the church planners that are doing the work, um, going out and, and sacrificing and, and trusting God for more. So, uh, we want to thank you for joining us for this episode of the postscript, hearing Mike's story, um, Man, we, we love our listeners deeply, and uh, we know that it's a diverse crowd. A lot of people uh, are, are going to hear this, and, and, and this is going to sound really unfamiliar. Uh, the topic is going to sound unfamiliar, but a lot of you get it. You, a lot of you understand. A lot of you are supporting missionaries and, and church planters uh, just like Mike, and you hear this story, and, and your heart is pricked. And so we want to uh, invite you to, to continue to commit yourself uh, to church planters just like Mike, uh, to, to, to support this kind of work, to devote yourself uh, to um, standing with and supporting missionaries who are doing the thing that maybe you can't do. Um, man, if, if the Great Commission means anything, if it means anything to us, uh, then this kind of work is going to be important. And so we need to stand by uh, folks just like this in prayer and in support. Um, further than that, beyond that, if you're the type of person who says, you know what, I've, I've got a call on my life. Um, I desire to be a part of a work just like the one that Mike described. I, I want to be a church planter. I, I want to go out and see the work furthered and multiplied in other cities and other places in the world. Uh, we want to stand with your local church and we want to invite you to be a part of the Living Faith Bible Institute. We want to be a part of helping train you and prepare you for just this kind of work so that you can stand strong in your faith no matter what it is that you face within the mission. And so uh, visit lfbi.org, learn about the Living Faith Bible Institute, check out our program of studies, check out our statement of faith. We don't want to catch you by surprise. So, so, so check out our, our statement of faith. And uh, we ask if, if we would have the privilege to invest in you, we would love to do that. Um, and so with all of that said, uh, thank you for listening to The Postscript today. Uh, God bless you. And we hope to hang out with you again next Monday for another episode of The Postscript. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support. Hi, this is Mark Schaefer with Living Faith Tampa in Tampa, Florida. What a privilege it is to be called a child of God. And yet too many Christians stop there and they miss their whole purpose for their salvation. Colossians chapter one says that you and I were alienated and enemies in our mind by wicked works. And yet God reconciled us through his death so that he could present us holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That is an awesome privilege. 
And yet if that's all the Christian life was about, we would be in heaven right now. Colossians chapter one doesn't end with what God wants to do for you. Colossians chapter one ends with what God wants to do through you. You must, as verse 23 says, continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. You and I were saved to minister. And if you're gonna minister rightly, you need preparation. The Living Faith Bible Institute exists for that purpose, to equip and to prepare able ministers of the gospel. None of us are worthy of salvation, and none of us are worthy to minister either, but this is the calling for every believer. Get prepared for your calling to warn every man and to teach every man that you may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Enroll in classes today. To enroll for classes, visit lfbi.org. To support LFBI, please visit lfbi.org support.